Hello and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast, where we show you ways to help you grow your business using the internet. My name's Tim Cameron Kitchen, Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja and best-selling digital marketing author. And this week I'm joined by Joe Friedling. We're going to be talking about how to come up with cool viral content ideas for your business, even if you might consider your business to be a little bit dry and boring. So plenty of ways to get some attention, get some links for your site, which will obviously help your ranking on Google, but also just to generate some awareness and excitement in your industry. So hopefully you get a ton of useful and creative ideas from the episode. As always, if you enjoy the episode, then head over to iTunes or Stitch Out or wherever you find it. And don't forget to leave a rating and subscribe. So, Joe, welcome to the show. Good to have you on. Likewise, thanks for having me. So this thing about content, right? Content is king, write blog posts. No one shares them, no one reads them, and lots of people listening probably think, well, my business is relatively boring. I don't really know (laughs) how I can make my content interesting. You're a big fan of content that gets shared, aren't you? So how can we start thinking about writing content which is actually entertaining and engaging? It's a good question and one that comes up a lot. Um, I think pretty much every marketing event I go to and everything I read online really for the last few years has been banging the drum for content. And, and there's no doubt about it. You know, I'm, I'm a huge believer in good content. And I think without good content, it's actually very hard to attract links and traffic and engagement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That said, it, it, it mustn't be content for content's sake. And I, th- I think a lot of people are falling into the trap of churning out um, quantity of content rather than quality. And I think, um, you know, however boring you may think your industry may be, there are, there are always opportunities to to do good stuff and actually sort of you know engage with people. I've got a couple of young boys and they like most kids probably at some point go, oh, I'm daddy, I'm bored. And my my kind of standard report is you know only boring people get bored. And I think I think it's it's an attitude. I think if you give up and think that your industry is really dull, you're going to struggle. But if you actually think we're all human, we'll buy and sell from and to humans just try and provoke some um, sort of emotional response. And, and you know, I, I actually think the so-called dull industries, arguably, I mean, I certainly find them more, yes, more challenging, but ultimately a lot more rewarding. And, and if I'm brutally honest, I think sometimes it's actually slightly easier because if you can do something which stands out, I mean, it's, it's a lot easier to stand out in a, in a sort of fairly grey world. If you do something that's good, um, you get a lot of attention and a lot of acknowledgement and, and a lot of reward for that. Yeah, I completely agree. It's all about kind of approaching these quote unquote boring topics with with a bit of creativity, isn't it? Exactly that. Have you got any examples of markets that people would consider to be really boring, which you've ended up actually managing to come up with something really interesting? Yeah, I hope so. (laughs) Um, You know, thinking, I mean, we've been doing it for, you know, 12 years and we've certainly had our challenges. Um, And I think there's a few examples that spring to mind. And I think one product orientated example was an air conditioning hire company that we used to work with and air conditioning is not especially exciting and traditionally the marketing had just been really dominated by what really spec sheets for air conditioning units so they'd bang on about average power consumptions the max airflows noise levels etc 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 and the reality is that's all pretty dull and people 
don't yes they do care and probably the more educated will look at spec sheets but ultimately an air conditioning unit is there to solve the issue of of temperature control and we just just thought about that and thought you know how can we bring temperature control to life so we actually just did some research across the was actually the whole of the uk just exploring attitudes to temperature in in the workplace because i mean they're a b2b outfit really They, they 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 rent air conditioning units you know, fairly unsurprisingly, really, what the research showed, um, and we, we call this the thermostat wars campaign, because we, we sort of hope that there might be a bit of a, a sort of, you know, a fun around people fighting over the thermostat in the office place. And, you know, I have to say fairly unsurprisingly, northerners were, they're all tough as old boots, southerners are all sort of softies, men are always hot sitting there, sitting there in their string vests, and, and women always freezing cold. So we did, you know, we did this research, and the data came back fairly um, as unexpected well as expected really we, we created an infographic and just just had some fun with the issue of temperature control rather than as i say the traditional marketing angle of banging on about um some technical specifications and that did really really well particularly within the within the trade press and you know as with all industries there, there does there's, a, there's always a remarkable range of trade outlets and publications that you can use and I think it's just a, a, a slight breath of fresh air that people were acknowledging actually the reason you have air conditioning units is is to regulate temperature and make the workplace more comfortable. So that that did well. And you know, in terms of what we t- churned out, it was a it was actually an infographic which showed the UK and just just sort of brought the data out. And I think in regional data, it's, it's always an interesting angle because it does allow you to then sort of spread the word. From sort of local publication to local publication, you know, I always think when you think about data and think about content, if there is an angle to look at geographical differences, I'd, I'd always suggest that that's a good approach because it just it makes it very easy to go and do the kind of outreach bit later on. Yeah, when when you're talking about air conditioning, it's it's one of those things that everybody takes for granted, so that makes it like a boring market. But then, yeah, I guess the the flip side of that is that it's air conditioning controls something that everybody can relate to, right? Everyone has a, a kind of emotional experience with temperature. So yeah. in that way, actually, something which is a total commodity, it's just about finding what the what people's day-to-day experiences of that thing. There's always going to be an interesting angle on something which is a commodity. And and the local angle as well. You mentioned um in our in our brief chat before, you mentioned the 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 car park example. Maybe you could take us through that. Of course, yeah. I mean again car parking is not one you sort of set out in your career in digital marketing hope for um, loads of car parking clients, if, you, if you're honest. But the <laughs> um, client we had, in essence, they are car parking uh, letting agents, really. So they, their model is they have what they refer to as landlords, which are, and they, they have big organisations and, and councils on there as well. But it's a lot of individuals who have car parking spaces, and, and a, you know a lot of that's driveways or garages on a, on a kind of private space, or you know perhaps I mean it actually started with a with a Chinese restaurant whose car park was empty all day long, and literally just is right outside a train station where the founder used to walk past. So they had some people with, with sort of seven or eight car parking spaces, and they, they just want to make money from that. So they're, they're the landlords. And the tenants are the people who can save money. So rather than paying the extortionate NCP station car park prices, you can park in the Chinese restaurant outside and save a fortune. It's a kind of really interesting model, great business, and you know they, they do really well. It's not very glamorous. And to try and create sort of engaging marketing around that was, was pretty hard because 
parking's a is, is a is a is a pain. It's a nuisance. It's a you know it's a kind of grudge purchase, a little bit like insurance. No, no one really gets excited about it and really wants to talk about it. So we you know scratched our heads a bit, sort of sat with them, and what we realised they actually had um, you know they're they're a big operator and you know very successful business, and they they were sitting on an absolute gold mine of data in terms of what is a realistic commercial rate for a for a sort of monthly hire of uh, the driveway or, or, or garage or whatever it may be. And again, that that introduced kind of re- regional thing because what we did with that data, we um, and thinking about things you can do online, which you wouldn't otherwise be able to do, certainly in sort of traditional print, is we used that data to drive a sort of an interactive tool which allowed you to put in a postcode and it, it would sort of pump out, I mean, there's there a range, there's a top end and bottom end of this is what a driveway is worth. This is what a garage is worth, and that that sort of became the real kind of backbone for a, for a wider campaign. So you know, brought the data to life, and and we could then use that data and that tool to do a lot of uh, localized um, sort of micro campaigns. So we take, I think we started in Liverpool, and we literally used the tool to find out which the ten most expensive postcodes to park. And just started sort of banging out some, you know, local kind of news pieces and, and campaigns. And it just, again, it really worked. And, and this was back in the um, sort of 2008, 2009. So the kind of height of the double dip, triple dip, quadruple dip misery that was sort of everywhere in the press. And it was actually a, it was a positive story because as a landlord, you could make some extra money on the side. And as a tenant, you could save money. Um, so again, a kind of wider economic angle we approached the likes of Money Saving Expert, and and that really to the, to this day actually is one of the most powerful examples of how exposure in the right place can just just lead to incredible results. Because it was actually in the front of their forum for a little bit, and is on Martin Lewis's emails, and and it just led to a lot of traffic, which all pointed at this tool because you could you could almost create any story and point at this tool, but without that data. And without thinking, what can you do online that perhaps you can't do otherwise? That just simply wouldn't wouldn't have happened, and and it started creating you know sort of weird stories just based on pricing. And I know, I know there's there's a car parking, there's a garage in Mayfair, and it's about four thousand eight hundred pounds per month. And we really which just queried expensive things, and people loved it. And then, you know, crying, who on earth would spend that much in a car park? But it, it it just provoked, I suppose, a reaction and some sort of. <laughs> cogs in your brains are wearing around and just bought as i say what is fundamentally pretty dull no one really likes parking their car but it but it became fun and, and it was enough that it was different it hadn't been done before that um again people people talked about it it, it did get the kind of virtual tongues wagging and that was all based on data that they already had right there wasn't yeah. any additional surveys or research done at all that's right. It's it data that they were sort of sitting on. Hadn't you know? They'd be the first to admit they hadn't really acknowledged how potentially potent that data was. So it's just a sort of, I guess, our sort of external, sort of fresh set of eyes thinking. Hang on, you've, you've got a lot of good data there. And I think you know, as an agency, a lot of the work we do, particularly um, within B two B, and as well, actually, no, across B two B and B two C, but especially for the less glamorous industries. Data and research is, is 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 so important. You know, I pretty much every morning I get up, throw on um, sort of BBC News, and and really the only businesses and brands you see mentioned are those 
which have sort of produced some, some research. You know, it's a very kind of viable way of getting past sort of moderation rules. And you, you can demonstrate authority, you get brand mentions. Research is still a very, very effective sort of string in, in, in one's bow. And I always talk about sort of PR toolkits. I think research and publications around data, is, you know, they, they just remain very, very, very effective. So I think you can always, whatever industry you're operating in, um, you may well be sitting on data already. N- not always. And if you are, let's you know, have a good think about how you can bring that to light and and what stories can you get on the you know from the back of that data. If you don't have the data, and obviously if you're a startup organisation, for example, you, you're just not going to have that data available. I'd always have a good think about how can you go and get some data which you can then use to, to tell a story and, and to sort of curate a discussion around that. If, if people don't have data, they are yep. just a startup. What are some of the, let's say that we want to go and run a survey or we want to do some original research. There are tools like Ipsos Mori and stuff like that, where we can yeah. tap in stuff which has already been done, right? Would you run your own surveys as well? There's a lot of different ways of doing it. And I think you know, ranging from free to the, Ipsos Mori, Forrester Gartners of the world where that's very much top end. I mean, you, you can piggyback off other people's data. And, I, and I, I've seen white papers being created that references, you know, a whole range of other people's research. It doesn't actually, you don't do any research yourself. You use other people's data to come up with a kind of, you know, your particular sort of slant on that. That's easy to do once you're sort of mega brand. I think when you're starting out, it, it's, it's going to be harder. But I think if you, you know, let's go from sort of free upwards. So yeah, the easiest, if you do have customer data, use that. Obviously, let's talk about what, you know, if you don't have the customer data. The probably the easiest and quickest way to do it. Well, actually, there's, there's several kind of quick and easy ways to do it, although maybe not quick. Just hosting a survey on your on your own website. That does a couple of things. A, you should start to build up data, you know, getting people to your website in order to answer the, you know, the, 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 the survey, that's great because hopefully then they may explore other areas of the site. You can then hit them with some retargeting adverts, et cetera, et cetera. Hosting surveys on your site is actually pretty easy. I mean, Google um, Docs got their own sort of online forms, things like SurveyMonkey, SurveyGizmo. There's hundreds of them. And you know, if you've got a WordPress website, which is a you know, very you know, popular publishing platform, particularly for SMEs, there's a whole host of plugins which literally just drag and drop. You can, it's very easy to create surveys. The, the challenge there is getting people to your website. If you're an unknown brand, you know, if you do have email lists of any, any description, then you know, promote the survey within your, within your email newsletters or look at partnering with other organizations. And I think you start encroaching to kind of the kind of mid-range stuff there. Um, but there are, you know, trade bodies, trade associations who may well be very happy to partner with you. And, and they, you know, you can piggyback off their emails to drive traffic to your survey. Another free one is it's, it's just doing your own research. And we, we've done a lot over the years, just desktop research, um, you know, create your own data. You can just do some research, create the story, and you can back that up with telephone research, perhaps, or stand in the street, ask ask people questions. As long as you're robust in terms of who they are and you understand, you know, the, the nature of is, is it right, then there's there's always stuff you can do. The the downside is it it will just take longer. And I think the 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 free options in terms of monetary outlay 
it's usually just takes longer because it's it's sort of harder to do that. I think in the kind of mid level, again, there's there's more and more of them. Um, Google, Google surveys is an interesting one. They have a, a sort of a degree of targeting. Depends where you are. If in the states, it seems to be a lot better. But within the UK, there's various ways of you can do sort of general internet population, or you can have specific types. And at the moment in the UK, it's just SME business owners and students. So, you know, if you if you want to do some research among students, then it's actually a pretty good option. I mean, it ranges from ten cents if it's a one question survey to about three dollars for a, you know a, a multiple question survey. And you don't need thousands and thousands and thousands of responses. So it's, again, it's, it's fairly nice to use, you know, it, it, it does work and it's not a sort of absolute bank breaker. Omnibus surveys, again, there's, there's, if you Google Omnibus survey, you'll get so many different options to run surveys. And again, generally, the more you pay, and, and most of these sort of platforms work on a cost per question model and it's, I think really, I mean, you see them for not very much per question, but I think around £250 per question, they start getting sort of fairly reputable. I think you can trust the data. Um, you can be a little bit more prescriptive around who it is and, and where they may be. So as long as you think carefully about the questions that you ask, it, it, it doesn't always need to cost a fortune. I think having the strategy around what you're asking and ultimately, what do you want to get out of it? And it's always good to have the odd question in there, which is likely to either create some sort of sensationist headline or just be a bit be a bit quirky. Good example of that. We, I mean, it's actually some research we did ourselves a few years ago. You know, within, within the social media world and well, just digital full stop. There's just endless research around how everyone was coming antisocial because they're staring at their phones all the time. You know, how many hours per week were you on Twitter? How many hours a week were you on Facebook? And we just thought, hang on, well, there doesn't seem to be a lot of research uh, regarding what you're not doing anymore. You know, given the fact there's only 24 hours in the day, yes, we all know you, you suddenly lost eight hours to social media. So so what are you now not doing um, as a consequence, and, and we, we we listed loads of different options, and we deliberately included sex as one of the answers because we we knew from the outset we we wanted to lead with, and I think it turned out to be seven percent. But it's, you know, are you one of the seven percent of people giving up sex in favour of social media? Again, you know, it, it just got eyeballs from the outset. So you're going to something like that with a with an idea of what you what you hope the data will show right this isn't just uh, i'm do, doing a survey and seeing what comes out you'll you'll Spot plant on. little yep. seeds in there which you hope will turn into i guess viral worthy content headlines exactly that yeah i mean if you go in with sort of open-ended questions which it's going to be hard to create that story so the art of creating surveys and questions there, there definitely is a, a craft in there and and you're right you need to think where do we what do we hope to end up with and I'm not saying you engineer the questions that they only answer in the way that you hope they do, because that'd be a bit, a bit bad. <laughs> but you, you, you just need to think just having a survey around what do people give up because they're doing Facebook is just not going to sound as good as, you know, are you one of the 7% who've given up having sex? It may be a bit childish, but you, you've, you've got to acknowledge you need to create something that stands out a little bit amongst the 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 tidal wave of content that's coming out you know we all know content's important so everybody's doing it and i think bloggers journalists 
they're going to get approached, you know, hundreds of times per day with often pretty dull stuff. Whereas if you can create a really catchy headline, it, it, it's like a good CV. It just instantly you, you, you've kind of got through the, the, the initial barrier that you will always have presented to you. Now, I guess another another benefit of being in a in a boring market would be that this market is starved of anything to do with Completely sex. Agree. You know, let's see if we can t- tie the car yeah. parking into the sex. Wow, that's something that Car Park Monthly hasn't seen before. Yeah. Well, you probably have. Yeah, dodgy <laughs> <laughs> car parks. Um, no, you're that's right. It, it, but I think within, um, as I say, I think boring industries, and I, I, and I don't, I don't really like to say boring because it sounds sort of negative, but but let's call it boring. They, it, it's actually, as I say, it's, it's a good opportunity there to do something which just stands out. And I think if you're selling, I don't know, the most desired, if you say, I don't know, iPhones, you know, everyone's always interested in the next iPhone. Um, it's quite hard to do something there, which is actually amazing and think, oh, yeah, that, that sounds really good. Whereas if, if your expectations are pretty low, anything that looks remotely interesting, you, you're just going to notice it more. Yeah, that's so true. So, okay, going through the process, then we've we've run our survey, we've got some data, we think we've got something which is quite interesting. And now it's time to put it into some sort of format to, to publish online and hopefully get some attention. How much are you thinking about keywords and, and search ranking while you're putting that content together? Me personally, probably not more than I should, but that's probably because I've got a sort of search heritage it's it's a really interesting question and i know we you know in our kind of brief chat beforehand we're talking about the, the kind of value of sort of seo within this, this whole thing keywords for me um it's actually less about stuffing the articles full of keywords so that they're optimized for search although although that, that is important i'm not going to pretend that isn't keyword research is probably one of the biggest sort of untapped resource that i think organizations for 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 reasons which i still haven't quite figured out they don't get excited by keyword research. They, they'll happily pay for a focus group of eight people to sit in a room and be asked a few questions. For me, keyword research is, is just a, it's just a huge focus group, um, you know, on, on, a, on a global scale, which can tell you all sorts of interesting things about what people want and what they're looking for. So I think within the content creation and ideation which is one of those words i can't believe i've just said it's really it's really important we, we can have a view on what we think is actually interesting content but it may be no one's looking for that whereas if you if you're good at doing your keyword research and, and you do that properly you have a really acute sense of well we know this is in demand you know we we know that people are not looking for air conditioning units with a max airflow rate of or whatever it is 30 liters per second it's how do you get this office cooler or hotter it's it's the you know the, the real kind of need that's there so yes that should help and sort of inform the initial whole premise and strategy of the content itself but you're right when you then create it that content and and remember the content it, it, people think it's the kind of the written word but there's there's video, there's infographics, you know, podcasts are great, images, things like SlideShare. Some of these assets, you can optimize them to a degree, but sort of less, you know, less than you can with a, with a let's take a blog post, which is probably the most obvious content piece. 
so you can't always optimize it. And sometimes actually over optimizing just, it just becomes a bit sort of dry and rubbish. So I think, I think it just depends on the, the, the nature of the content and, and really what you want to get out of it. And, and again, this is, this is a key part of the, the initial strategy that sits alongside the keyword research. You have to be asking yourself, what do you want people to do in response to the, 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 the content campaign? If it's have some fun, sort of get more people in front of the brand, position the brand as a, you know, just having good fun. I wouldn't worry too much about, you know, heavily optimizing that content piece because hopefully it will go viral. Um, again, a, a word you, you need to be kind of cautious with, but if it, if it, if people love it, it will gather its own steam, like a you know, big snowball. It will gather momentum without really having to worry too much about search. You know, I, th- I think social media is probably much more potent at, at sort of creating that headwind. Well, not headwind, they're, 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 you know, they're the real sort of impetus behind it. If it's content that you have a really uh, sort of commercial objective that you want to achieve, at that point, you really do need to think about keyword research and you make sure you do optimize the content so that you hope people looking for specific keywords will arrive at that content piece, whatever that may be, that content will help encourage them to do the next stage so that they're they're converting into whatever that, whatever that particular conversion may be. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. So I guess you can, there's probably two ways of looking at it, isn't there? There's probably a a pure entertaining, get as many shares as possible, get as much reach as possible thing where keywords might not be particularly important. I guess you could also take the approach where you may be targeting a longer tail phrase. You've got something specifically, like you've got a a common question that your market has, for example, which you really want to answer. And then you could add in an, an entertaining kind of data rich, but useful and interesting angle on that, which would help to make that piece a bit more, yeah, again, the viral word. Yeah, I think it's it's sort of tipping them over the edge in terms of conversion. And I think, I, I know you've you got a great example of you know, doing a really good creative solution for an accountant. And, I, and I'll, I'll let you explain that because it's a really good example of having fun with, um, again, what's potentially a kind of boring thing. But if the objective of an accountancy firm is to get more people to enlist their services to fill in their self, self-assessment form in, in January... You, you need to be thinking about terms that they're going to be searching for. So, you know, I don't know, accountant to help with self-assessment form or self-assessment advice or whatever it may be. You draw them in with keywords and then the content that you choose to display and share at, at that point may actually be, I mean, it might be slightly scaremongering. It might be saying, you know, do you know how many people are um, fined each year for not doing it on time? Or do you know how many people miss out on sort of tax relief because they're just not very well informed. And again, some research showing that, you know, 80% of people or 80% of business owners are not making the most of sort of tax breaks. That research will just think, hey, hang on, these guys are good. They, they can help save me money and, and kind of draw them in. So you you really would have a very specific you know, goal there. Whereas the, the kind of brand fun is is the one I want to allow you to talk about because I, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, although although there was there was a slight keyword angle here. The okay. um, the the piece that we're, we're talking about is um, we did a we got an accountant client and we wanted to find a, an interesting way to talk about tax returns, which are 
you know can can be quite dry so um <laughs> one of our one of our ninjas james came up with a, a, an infographic on how to buy a death star so how the empire could possibly fund the 852 quadrillion dollars that it took to to fund the death star so looking at all the all the data behind that so the galaxy contains 400 billion stars 25% of it is explored there are 100 quadrillion life forms and you know and it works <laughs> out and actually you know the the numbers make sense and the empire could afford to 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 build the death star so as an infographic that kind of worked two ways because it was coinciding with the the release of the Star Wars film and also around tax return time so got a bit more attention than than it would have perhaps other points in the year but yeah it's 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 about taking a current topic piggybacking on that with something that's interesting i, I guess yeah, yeah we, we could have done something around you know what what's it costing the average small business if they don't put their tax return in on time or what are some of the most amazing tax return stories that have come out i guess there are a few different ways of playing that aren't there yeah i agree and i think the, the reason i like the death star campaign it, it i say it's 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 it, it, it's clever and fun at the same time so I wouldn't expect everybody seeing that and sharing that to immediately ring up the accountants and say, you are the people that I need to do my tax return. However, what I would expect to see there is people sharing it just because they love it and they appreciate it. And they think, oh, thank, you know, thank the, the man upstairs that we, we haven't got yet another boring piece about tax returns. It's just brazen fun. And and as I say, that, that comes back to humans buying from humans and all being humans and all you know having having a sort of desperate urge to have fun sometimes i think stepping aside and, and not expecting too much from that although i'd argue that there's huge value in that that brand exposure i mean if it, it's hard to always put a number on the brand exposure that, that campaign would have generated but you know very very good and if you compare that to perhaps a paid search campaign to get the same number of eyeballs and positive sentiment and just sort of general warm and fuzzy feeling about that, 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 that particular firm, it's really good, you know, and, and it's only really by stepping back and thinking, let's just do something a little bit wacky. And I think if you go back 10, 15 years, firms, you know, professional firms wouldn't have even dreamt of doing anything like that. And I think it, it, it's, it's nice to see people having fun with, with, a, with, with a, a sort of fairly tedious stroke dry subject. Yeah. And one of the things that really interests me, particularly about small business accountants, is they, they can be so averse to risk and averse to fun. But the people that a small business accountant is selling to is small business owners who tend to be pretty, pretty nuts anyway, right? So yeah. you, you've got to kind of go out to people with the with the language and the attitude of, of your target audience, I think. So, yeah, I agree. And it's, it's nice to show the human side of an organisation. Um, yeah. you know, particularly, I think perhaps with professional services, it's very easy to slip into a, oh, just another boring kind of, you know, grey suited. Yes, a professional, great, but I'd, I'd you know, I'd, I'd like to work with people, or you know, I'd like people to represent me who that they, they have a laugh and they're, you know, they're 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 they're, they're prepared to put themselves on on a, you know, go out on a bit of a limb and and have fun and just, I, I don't know, I, for me, it shows. That that human side, which too much of the corporate spiel just just destroys. A, a similar, I mean, again, it is content related. It, the, the big debate around, and, and we see this with lots of clients: who should you allow to write on that blog, and and under what name? You know, should you give all your employees a platform to ultimately promote themselves? I'd always argue yes, because 
I think it's good to show individual characters within any organizations. And I think if you give them a platform and, and a fairly sort of loose brief around what they can do, so, you know, allow them the freedom to have some fun, allow them the freedom to have some opinion, I think that will earn respect. And I think sharing, you know, more voices from within any organization is a really positive thing. Yes, I, and people tell me that, you know, oh, never let your agency staff be very visible because they'll get poached and headhunted. I think, well, yes, that will happen anyway. You know, let, let, let's, let's be human because I think people who we want to work with will appreciate that human face. Yeah, and other potential staff, if they see that your agency or your business or whatever helps people to build their own personal brands in an industry, then yep. they're going to want to, they're going to flock to you, aren't they? That's going to yeah. be... Yeah, no, I agree. And it's amazing. Every Friday on our blog, we have this thing called My Five. So we, we literally take it in turns each week and we just do five things we, we've seen sort of online during the week that have either made us laugh or cry or, you know, just that stand out for whatever reason it may be. Can't tell you the amount of people who say, oh, I really, really like your My Five series. And I, yeah, I'd think, well, great. I mean, it's not something I, no, I didn't believe in it, but I didn't sort of assume people would like it as much as, you know, I'd hoped they'd like the very informative, very helpful pieces on how to do digital marketing. But sometimes that human bit actually resonates far more. And I think, you know, as if you're a, you know, a services team, which we are, I think clients like to see it. Clients like to see their account managers having a human side. You know, I think, in, and it's, you know, it's often fairly wacky stuff, Are my five things. It's not, it's deliberately not very serious at all, but that just, it's just a little chink, which, which gives us a face, gives us a personality, gives individuals personalities. Uh, and and I, I, you know, I, I'm a huge believer in it. And I think it's fairly obvious, but you know, that's a good example of different types of content and having different strategies and different objectives for, for different sort of formats and sort of angles of content. Yeah. Like it's a little twinkle in the eye, isn't it? Yeah. So we've, we've put together our content, we've made an infographic or a blog post or, or whatever we decide to do. How do we then get that out to the world? How do we share that? How do we give it a little, little push in the hope that it goes and using that dangerous term viral? <laughs> do, a, do a viral. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. <laughs> I'll order three virals, please. Yeah, I'd like to do a viral this month. Again, in the ideal world, I'd always encourage people to think at the point that they're, you know, before you've even created the content, when you're thinking about what that content may be, start drawing up some sort of target lists of people you think might be interested at that point. Because if you can't think of any, then it won't get any easier once you've got that content. You know, you have to be pretty brutal with yourself and think, okay, we think this is a good idea. Do we think anyone else might think it's a very good idea and, and share it? And, and you know, the years, we, we will approach other people before we've even created content and say, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? You know, would that be of interest? And, that, and that's a good sort of sounding board, you know, straight away. So there, there are some tools. In fact, there are, there, are, there are lots of tools which will help identify both sort of sites and, and, and influencers. So, you know, who on Twitter would be the ideal champion for this particular piece of content? As an agency, we, we use Buzzsumo. I mean, Buzzsumo is one of quite a few sort of similar platforms. 
you know, we like it. It, it. it shows, it helps put some data behind what sort of content's doing well. So, you know, you can, you get a good feel for what is being shared, what is popular, you know, what is likely to, you know, hopefully also be shared. There is, of course, the risk. If you only ever go for the most popular thing, you then get lost and it's going to see if everyone else is doing exactly the same content. So you still need the, the human brain to sort of decipher that data and sort of make sense of it. Um, but I think just good, good research, good reading around um, the sort of industry forums, um, you know, ask if you know, you're responsible for creating the, the, the content within your organization, talk to sales guys. And I think, you know, who, who can we share this with who then hopefully will sort of advocate it and become brand ambassadors, you know, f- for us. But I think, I don't think it's that hard to find opportunities to share it. It it just takes a lot of work. And I think at any point in the life stage of a good content campaign, I think the outreach piece is the bit that people generally underestimate. It, it's hard work. It's fairly thankless in, in a lot of cases because, you, you know, email, email is always a good start of a 10. I personally like picking up the phone either, you know, after an email or maybe in, in place of an email. If you can build up a personal relationship with, with another blogger, for example, they're just more likely to help promote your content because they like you, you know, they're, they're your friend. And, and, and again, it's that human sort of instinct to help others who can help you. Have a list of of target sites, and and within that there'll be varieties. So there'll be some forums. So you know, let, let's take it. It's, it's let's assume it's some sort of business in a dry, tedious world. There will be forums talking about your your industry, or or maybe it might be a you know a subsection within a within a larger business forum. So don't go in there guns blazing, saying we have done this research. It's amazing, isn't it? Great link to it. Just try and find some discussion on there where you can actually engage. You can you can help answer their questions. So you know people are talking about a particular issue on the forum. Answer their question. You know, give them some helpful stuff. And just you know, as a little aside, you can say, you know, we've actually done some research in this area, and you know, do a little summary of what the research is. But say, you know, if you want to see the full research, link through here, and there, you know, you get the link, and people come to you with a kind of warm perception rather than the sense you've just spammed a forum because you know most forum moderators are, are very keen on stopping you just bleating about stuff because it, you know it's fairly easy to do and, and the same with blogs you know blog comment spams one of the kind of biggest banes of anyone's life if you've ever had a blog people just link to any old rubbish and and it's frustrating and i, and I think quite rightly that that sort of spammy outreach it doesn't really work. You know, it, it gets, it just gets moderated out. So you'll end up with sort of no links. So I think you need to be quite humble and, and, and fairly, well, in fact, very targeted about who you want to get in touch in, in, in that kind of outreach exercise. And you need to have a really good and, and, and as, as, as personalized as you can possibly be approach. So if you know that a particular blogger has a particular interest in a particular field, or perhaps they commented on someone else's research in the past, or maybe they've done their own, you know, maybe they're, they're very opinionated in a, in a certain area. If your content is genuinely kind of relevant to that, don't just send them an email saying, you know, dear Joe blogs, will you link to our content? You say, dear Joe blogs, you know, 
I, I know you're interested in this and, you know, here's some particular examples of bits where you've commented in the past, a little bit of sort of ego massaging and, and flattery. It just shows you have actually read their blog and you, you've acknowledged that they are genuinely interested in the particular sort of content angle. Instantly they'll, they'll respect that and think, okay, it's not an automated email that's come out. You know, you have chosen me and you do appear to read what I've written so, you know, again, you're just knocking away at the kind of barriers that, that, will, that will be there and just explain to them very simply. You don't need to write a, a Bible, but just explain to them why you think they may be interested in the research and explain what it is. You know, obviously you do need link through it so they can see what it is, but offer them, you know, not don't give them the raw data, but just say, look, if you want a different slice of this data or you want to sort of inter, you know, explore a different angle that we'd love to work with you. You know, we know your readers or we, we believe that your readers will be interested in it. We'd, we'd love to work together on this. Yeah. And again, going back to the boring business thing, if you're in a dry industry, this is so much easier because back in the day when I was working a freelance with a bunch of tradesmen, I contact all the plumbing and heating engineer magazines Yeah, and they're just desperate for anything. Exactly. Anything interesting they'll publish. Yeah. No, and that's... And- Sorry, yeah, the, you know, something on, uh, I'll, I'll write it for you. I'll write it in the style in there. Yeah, great, great. Yeah, send it over, send and it's straight in there next month. And you're like, wow. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that, that's the interesting sort of benefit of the, the you know, kind of huge appetite for content and, and sort of, you know, a widely acknowledged need for content. Everybody is trying to find content. So if you can basically offer to do it for them, then then they they they're going to be fairly you know their 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 ears will be open to that and and again that's happened over the years uh, donkeys ears with you know pr agencies and bods you know they they they're writing pretty much all the content that you see in the in the broadsheets the weekend because journalists are busy and if you can help them the more you can write and it has to be good and you obviously you just can't assume they'll use everything but people will will be, you know they'll they'll love it they'll they'll kind of welcome it with open arms yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? When 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 I read through the paper, and I, once you start looking out for it, it's one of those things that you see everywhere, isn't it? Like when you're about to buy a new car and you start seeing that car everywhere. Yeah. But what once you look through the paper and, and you look at the content which has come from a company who's done some original research, like you were mentioning, or has put together something, you realise that actually the majority of that sort of you know new survey shows that social media is killing sex or whatever all of that stuff has come from a pr minded (laughs) company or a pr company that's right and it you know it it really is and it you know you could get depressed about that thinking there's there's no free free you know sort of unbiased media out there but that that's just the way it is yeah i'd like to think that the better publications they they you know they're, they're respecting the quality of the content and it's okay to share that i think i think i think it's fairly fairly justified yeah let's not get depressed let's get some links yeah <laughs> with the seo hat on that's you know a, a big piece of the, the the sort of content jigsaw is you know why do we do it yes we do do it because we we want to provide engaging content for our audience the reality is search is still a you know the the main driver of traffic online and and i, th- I think i said it to start with you know w- without content it's gonna be really hard to get links and without links it's very hard to rank well so you know a good content strategy that that really seeks to get quality links so we're talking about you know contextually relevant links 
those links will absolutely help your longer term sort of SEO results. So if you're being pressed by your kind of marketing director and sort of board people saying, oh, I can't see an ROI this month. You, you told me this content piece will save the world. It won't happen. It will take time and it will it will sort of build up. And you, you're really aiming to build domain authority, which, you know, will help, you know, rankings across the board, but it, but it will take time. But don't underestimate the potential for referred traffic. If you, if you get good, good links from good sites, you, you'll get links almost immediately, and that will drive some referred traffic. Equally, you know, you can have content published on, on other people's sites. So it's not always about creating content on your own site. Write a guest blog on posts on someone else's site. And yes, they benefit from that, but it's brand awareness for you. So, you know, don't don't obsess around just getting links to content on your site. Think what else you could do to get what, it, what in essence is, is coverage. You know, if you can get coverage on other people's sites, that's a good thing. And I think um, if you can get, you know, people appreciating the fact that you've spoken in a, you know, hopefully a sort of authoritative voice, that's that's good. Yeah, couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. Joe, this has been fantastic. How can people find out more about you and Browser Media? Um, well, our website's probably the best bet. Come read our My Fives <laughs> and see what <laughs> weird bunch we are. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us and thank you everyone for listening. Remember, if you enjoy this episode, then head over to iTunes, Stitcher or wherever you found it. Leave us a rating and an honest review and don't forget to tune in next week.